Chapter Two of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Up with my tent. Here will I lie tonight. But where tomorrow? Well, all's one for that. Richard the Third. The travelers soon discovered the usual and unerring evidences that the several articles necessary to their situation were not far distant. A clear and gurgling spring burst out of the side of the declivity, and joining its waters to those of other similar little fountains in its vicinity, their united contributions formed a run which was easily to be traced for miles along the prairie by the scattering foliage and verdure which occasionally grew within the influence of its moisture. Hither, then, the stranger held his way, eagerly followed by the willing teams, whose instinct gave them a prescience of refreshment and rest. On reaching what he deemed a suitable spot, the old man halted, and with an inquiring look he seemed to demand if it possessed the needed conveniences. The leader of the emigrants cast his eyes understandingly about him, and examined the place with the keenness of one competent to judge of so nice a question, though in that dilatory and heavy manner which rarely permitted him to betray precipitation. "'Aye, this may do,' he said, satisfied with his scrutiny. "'Boys, you have seen the last of the sun. Be stirring.' The young men manifested a characteristic obedience. The order, for such in tone and manner it was, in truth, was received with respect. But the utmost movement was the falling of an axe or two from the shoulder to the ground, while their owners continued to regard the place with listless and incurious eyes. In the meantime, the elder traveller, as if familiar with the nature of the impulses by which his children were governed, disencumbered himself of his pack and rifle, and assisted by the man already mentioned as disposed to appeal so promptly to the rifle, he quietly proceeded to release the cattle from the gears. At length the eldest of the sons stepped heavily forward, and, without any apparent effort, he buried his axe to the eye, in the soft body of a cottonwood tree. He stood, a moment, regarding the effect of the blow, with that sort of contempt with which a giant might be supposed to contemplate the puny resistance of a dwarf, and then flourishing the implement above his head, with the grace and dexterity with which the master of the art of offence would wield his nobler, though less useful weapon, he quickly severed the trunk of the tree, bringing its tall top crashing to the earth in submission to his prowess. His companions regarded the operation with indolent curiosity, until they saw the prostate trunk stretched on the ground, when, as if a signal for a general attack had been given, they advanced in a body to the work, and in a space of time, and with a neatness of execution that would have astonished an ignorant spectator, they stripped the small but suitable spot of its burden of forest, as effectually and almost as promptly as if a whirlwind had passed along the place. The stranger had been a silent but attentive observer of their progress. As tree after tree came whistling down, he cast his eyes upwards at the vacancies they left in the heavens, with a melancholy gaze, and finally turned away, muttering to himself with a bitter smile, like one who disdained giving a more audible utterance to his discontent. Pressing through the group of active and busy children, who had already lighted a cheerful fire, the attention of the old man became next fixed on the movements of the leader of the immigrants and of his savage-looking assistant. These two had, already, liberated the cattle, 
which were eagerly browsing the grateful and nutritious extremities of the fallen trees, and were now employed about the wagon, which has been described as having its contents concealed with so much apparent care, notwithstanding this particular conveyance appeared to be as silent and as tenantless as the rest of the vehicles, the men applied their strength to its wheels, and rolled it apart from the others to a dry and elevated spot, near the edge of the thicket. Here they brought certain poles, which had, seemingly, been long employed in such a service, and fastening their larger ends firmly in the ground, the smaller were attached to the hoops that supported the covering of the wagon. Large folds of cloth were next drawn out of the vehicle, and after being spread around the hole, were pegged to the earth in such a manner as to form a tolerably capacious and exceedingly convenient tent. After surveying their work with inquisitive and perhaps jealous eyes, arranging a fold here and driving a peg more firmly there, the men once more applied their strength to the wagon, pulling it by its projecting tongue from the center of the canopy until it appeared in the open air, deprived of its covering and destitute of any other freight than a few light articles of furniture. The latter were immediately removed by the traveller into the tent with his own hands, as though to enter it with a privilege to which even his bosom companion was not entitled. Curiosity is a passion that is rather quickened than destroyed by seclusion, and the old inhabitant of the prairies did not view these precautionary and mysterious movements without experiencing some of its impulses. He approached the tent, and was about to sever two of its folds with the very obvious intention of examining more closely into the nature of its contents, when the man who had once already placed his life in jeopardy seized him by the arm, and with a rude exercise of his strength threw him from the spot he had selected as the one most convenient for his object. "'It's an honest regulation, friend,' the fellow dryly observed, though with an eye that threatened the volumes. "'And sometimes it is a safe one.' which says, mind your own business. Men seldom bring anything to be concealed into these deserts, returned the old man, as if willing, and yet a little ignorant, how to apologize for the liberty he had been about to take. And I had hoped no offense in examining your comforts. They seldom bring themselves, I reckon, though this has the look of an old country. To my eye it seems not to be overly peopled. The land is as aged as the rest of the works of the Lord. I believe, but you say true, concerning its inhabitants. Many months have passed since I have laid eyes on a face of my own color, before your own. I say again, friend, I meant no harm. I did not know, but there was something behind the cloth that might bring former days to mine. As the stranger ended his simple explanation, he walked meekly away like one who felt the deepest sense of the right which every man has to the quiet enjoyment of his own, without any troublesome interference on the part of his neighbor. A wholesome and just principle that he had also most probably imbibed from the habits of his secluded life. As he passed towards the little encampment of the immigrants, for such the place had now become, he heard the voice of the leader calling aloud, in its hoarse tones, the name of Ellen Wade. The girl, who has been already introduced to the reader, and who was occupied with the others of her sex around the fires, sprang willingly forward at this summons, and passing the stranger with the activity of a young antelope, she was instantly lost behind the forbidden folds of the tent. Neither her sudden disappearance, nor any of the arrangements we have mentioned, seemed, however, to excite the smallest surprise among the remainder of the party. The young men, who had already completed their task with the axe, 
were all engaged after their lounging and listless manner. Some in bestowing equitable portions of the fodder among the different animals, others implying the heavy pestle of a movable hominy mortar. Footnote. Hominy is a dish composed chiefly of cracked corn or mace, and one or two in wheeling the remainder of the wagons aside, and arranging them in such a manner as to form a sort of outwork for their otherwise defenseless bivouac. These several duties were soon performed, and as darkness now began to conceal the objects on the surrounding prairie, the shrill-toned termagant, whose voice since the halt has been diligently exercised among her idle and drowsy offspring, announced, in tones that might have been heard at a dangerous distance, that the evening meal waited only for the approach of those who were to consume it. Whatever may be the other qualities of a borderman, he is seldom deficient in the virtue of hospitality. The immigrant no sooner heard the sharp call of his wife than he cast his eyes about him in quest of the stranger, in order to offer him the place of distinction in the rude entertainment to which they were so unceremoniously summoned. "'I thank you, friend,' the old man replied to the rough invitation to take a seat nigh the smoking kettle. "'You have my hearty thanks, but I have eaten for the day, and am not one of them who dig their graves with their teeth. Well, as you wish it.' I will take a place for it as long sin I have seen people of my color eating their daily bread. You are an old settler in these districts, then? The immigrant rather remarked than inquired, with a mouth filled nearly to overflowing with the delicious hominy prepared by his skillful, though repulsive, spouse. They told us below we should find settlers something thinnish here away, and I must say the report was mainly true, for unless we count the Canada traders on the big river, you are the first white face I have met in a good five hundred miles, that is calculating according to your own reckoning. Though I have spent some years in this quarter, I can hardly be called a settler, seeing that I have no regular abode, and seldom pass more than a month at a time on the same range. A hunter, I reckon, the other continued, glancing his eyes aside as if to examine the equipments of his new acquaintance. Your fixin' seem none of the best for such a calling. They are old, and nearly ready to be laid aside, like their master, said the old man, regarding his rifle with a look in which affection and regret were singularly blended. And I may say they are but little needed, too. You are a mistaken friend in calling me a hunter. I am nothing better than a trapper. Footnote. It is scarcely necessary to say that this American word means one who takes his game in a trap. It is of general use on the frontiers. The beaver, an animal too sagacious to be easily killed, is oftener taken in this way than in any other. If you are much of the one, I'm bold to say you are something of the other, for the two callings go mainly together in these districts. To the shame of the man who is able to follow the first, be it so said, returned the trapper, whom in future we shall choose to designate by his pursuit. For more than fifty years did I carry my rifle in the wilderness, without so much as setting a snare for even a bird that flies the heavens, much less a beast that has nothing but legs for its gifts. I see but little difference whether a man gets his peltry by the rifle or by the trap, said the ill-looking companion of the immigrant in his rough manner. The earth has made for our comfort, and for that matter, so are its creatures. You seem to have but little plunder, stranger. Footnote, the cant word for luggage in the western states of America is plunder. The term might easily mislead one as to the character of the people 
who, notwithstanding their pleasant use of so expressive a word, are, like the inhabitants of all new settlements, hospitable and honest. Knavery of the description conveyed by plunder is chiefly found in regions more civilized. "'For one who is far abroad,' bluntly interrupted the immigrant, as if he had a reason for wishing to change the conversation. "'I hope you are better off for skins.' "'I make but little use of either,' the trapper quietly replied. "'At my time of life, food and clothing be all that is needed, and I have little occasion for what you call plunder, unless it may be now and then to barter for a horn of powder or a bar of lead.' "'You are not, then, of these parts by nature, friend,' the immigrant continued, having in his mind the exception, which the other had taken to the very equivocal word which he himself, according to the custom of the country, had used for baggage or effects. "'I was born on the seashore, though most of my life has been passed in the woods.' The whole party now looked up at him, as men are apt to turn their eyes on some unexpected object of general interest. One or two of the young men repeated the words, seashore, and the woman tendered him one of those civilities, with which, uncouth as they were, she was little accustomed to grace her hospitality, as if in deference to the travel dignity of her guest. After a long and seemingly a meditating silence, the immigrant, who had, however, seen no apparent necessity to suspend the functions of his masticating powers, resumed the discourse. It is a long road, as I have heard, from the waters of the west to the shores of the main sea. It is a weary path indeed, friend, and much have I seen, and something I have suffered, in journeying over it. A man would see a good deal of hard travel in going its length. Seventy and five years have I been upon the road, and there are not half the number of leagues in the whole distance, after you leave the Hudson, on which I have not tasted venison of my own killing but this is vain boasting. Of what use are former deeds when time draws to an end? I once met a man that had boated on the river he names, observed the eldest son, speaking in a low tone of voice, like one who distrusted his knowledge and deemed it prudent to assume a becoming diffidence in the presence of a man who had seen so much. From his tell, it must be considerable stream and deep enough for a keelboat from top to bottom." It is a wide and deep water course, and many sightly towns are growing on its banks, returned the trapper, and yet it is but a brook to the waters of the endless river. I call nothing a stream that a man can travel round, exclaimed the ill-looking associate of the immigrant. A real river must be crossed, not headed, like a bear in a country hunt. Footnote. There is a practice in the new countries to assemble the men of a large district, sometimes of an entire county, to exterminate the beast of prey. They form themselves into a circle of several miles in extent, and gradually draw nearer, killing all before them. The allusion is to this custom, in which the hunted beast is turned from one to another. "'Have you been far towards the sundown, friend?' interrupted the immigrant, as if he desired to keep his rough companion as much as possible out of the discourse. I find it is a wide tract of clearing, this into which I have fallen. You may travel weeks, and you will see it the same. I often think the Lord has placed this barren belt of prairie behind the states, to warn men to what their folly may yet bring the land. I, weeks, if not months, may you journey in these open fields, in which there is neither dwelling nor habitation for man or beast. 
Even the savage animals travel miles on miles to seek their dens, and yet the wind seldom blows from the east. But I conceit the sounds of axes, and the crash of falling trees are in my ears. As the old man spoke, with the seriousness and dignity that age seldom fails to communicate, even to the less striking sentiments, his auditors were deeply attentive, and as silent as the grave. Indeed, the trapper was left to renew the dialogue himself, which he soon did by asking a question, in the indirect manner so much in use by the border inhabitants. "'You find it no easy matter to ford the water-courses, and to make your way so deep into the prairies, friend, with the teams of horses and herds of horned beasts?' "'I kept the left bank of the main river,' the immigrant replied, "'until I found the stream leading too much to the north, when we rafted ourselves across without any great suffering. The women lost a fleece or two from the next year's shearing, and the girls have one cow less to their dairy. Since then we have done bravely by bridging a creek every day or two. It is likely you will continue west until you come to land more suitable for a settlement. Until I see reason to stop, or to turn it again, the immigrant bluntly answered, rising at the same time, and cutting short the dialogue by the suddenness of the movement. His example was followed by the trapper, as well as the rest of the party and then, without much deference to the presence of their guest, the travelers proceeded to make their dispositions to pass the night. Several little bowers, or rather huts, had already been formed of the tops of trees, blankets of coarse country manufacture, and the skins of buffaloes, united without much reference to any other object than temporary comfort. Into these covers the children, with their mother, soon drew themselves, and where it is more than possible, they were all speedily lost in the oblivion of sleep. Before the men, however, could seek their rest, they had sundry little duties to perform, such as completing the works of defense, carefully concealing the fires, replenishing the fodder of their cattle, and setting the watch that was to protect the party in the approaching hours of night. The former was effected by dragging the trunks of a few trees into the intervals left by the wagons, and along the open space between the vehicles and the thicket, on which, in military language, the encampment would be said to have rested, thus forming a sort of chevaux de frise on three sides of the position. Within these narrow limits, with the exception of what the tent contained, both man and beast were now collected, the latter being far too happy in resting their weary limbs, to give any undue annoyance to their scarcely more intelligent associates. Two of the young men took their rifles, and the first, renewing the priming and examining the flints with the utmost care, they proceeded, the one to the extreme right and the other to the left of the encampment, where they posted themselves within the shadows of the thicket, but in such positions as enabled each to overlook the portion of the prairie. The trapper loitered about the place, declining to share the straw of the emigrant, until the whole arrangement was completed, and then, without the ceremony of an adieu, he slowly retired from the spot. It was now on the first watch of the night, and the pale, quivering, and deceptive light from a new moon was playing over the endless waves of the prairie, tipping the swells with gleams of brightness and leaving the interval land in deep shadow. Accustomed to scenes of solitude like the present, the old man, as he left the encampment, proceeded alone into the waste like a bold vessel leaving its haven to enter on the trackless field of the ocean. He appeared to move for some time without object, or indeed without any apparent consciousness, whether his limbs were carrying him. At length, on reaching the rise of one of the undulations, he came to a stand, 
and for the first time since leaving the band, who had caused such a flood of reflections and recollections to crowd upon his mind, the old man became aware of his present situation. Throwing one end of his rifle to the earth, he stood leaning on the other, again lost in deep contemplation for several minutes, during which time his hound came and crouched at his feet. A deep, menacing growl from the faithful animal first aroused him from his musing. "'What now, dog?' he said, looking down at his companion, as if he addressed a being of an intelligence equal to his own, and speaking in a voice of great affection. "'What is it, pup, huh? Hector, what is it, nosing now? "'It won't do, dog, it won't do. "'The very fans play in open view of us, without minding so worn-out curs as you and I. "'Instinct is their gift, Hector.' and they have found out how little we are to be feared. They have. The dog stretched his head upward, and responded to the words of his master by a long and plaintive whine, which he even continued after he had again buried his head in the grass, as if he held an intelligent communication with one who so well knew how to interpret dumb discourse. This is a manifest warning, Hector, the trapper continued, dropping his voice to the tones of caution and looking warily about him. What is it, pup? Speak plainer, dog. What is it? The hound had, however, already laid his nose to the earth, and was silent, appearing to slumber. But the keen, quick glances of his master soon caught a glimpse of a distant figure, which seemed through the deceptive light, floating along the very elevation on which he had placed himself. Presently its proportions became more distinct, and then an airy female form appeared to hesitate, as if considering whether it would be prudent to advance. Though the eyes of the dog were now to be seen glancing in the rays of the moon, opening and shutting lazily, he gave no further signs of displeasure. "'Come, Nyer, we are friends,' said the trapper, associating himself with his companion by long use, and, probably, through the strength of the secret tie that connected them together. "'We are your friends. None will harm you.' Encouraged by the mild tones of his voice, and perhaps led on by the earnestness of her purpose, the female approached, until she stood at his side. When the old man perceived his visitor to be the young woman with whom the reader has already become acquainted by the name of Ellen Wade. "'I had thought you were gone,' she said, looking timidly and anxiously around. "'They said you were gone, and that we should never see you again. I did not think it was you.' "'Men are no common object in these empty fields,' returned the trapper. "'And I humbly hope, though I have so long consorted with the beasts of the wilderness, "'that I have not yet lost the look of my kind.' "'Oh, I knew you to be a man, and I thought I knew the whine of the hound, too,' "'she answered hastily, as if willing to explain she knew not what, "'and then checking herself, like one fearful of having already said too much. "'I saw no dogs among the teams of your father.' the trapper remarked. "'Father!' exclaimed the girl, feelingly. "'I have no father. I had nearly said, no friend.' The old man turned towards her with a look of kindness and interest that was even more conciliating than the ordinary, upright, and benevolent expression of his weather-beaten countenance. "'Why, then, do you venture in a place where none but the strong should come?' he demanded. "'Did you not know that when you crossed the big river—' You left a friend behind that is always bound to look to the young and feeble like yourself. Of whom do you speak? 
the law. Tis bad to have it, but I sometimes think it is worse to be entirely without it. Age and weakness have brought me to feel such weakness at times. Yes, yes, the law is needed when such as have not the gifts of strength and wisdom are to be taken care of. I hope, young woman, if you have no father, you have at least a brother. The maiden felt the tacit reproach conveyed in this convert question, and for a moment she remained in an embarrassed silence. But catching a glimpse of the mild and serious features of her companion, as he continued to gaze on her with a look of interest, she replied firmly, and in a manner that left no doubt she comprehended his meaning. "'Heaven forbid that any such as you have seen should be a brother of mine, or anything else near or dear to me. But tell me, do you then actually live alone? Is this desert district, old man? Is there really none here besides yourself?' There are hundreds, nay, thousands of the rightful owners of the country, roving about the plains, but few of our own color. And have you then met none who are white but us? interrupted the girl, like one too impatient to await the tardy explanations of age and deliberation. Not in many days. Hush, Hector, hush, he added in reply to a low and nearly inaudible growl from his hound. The dog scents mischief in the wind. The black bears from the mountains sometimes make their way even lower than this. The pup is not apt to complain of the harmless game. I am not so ready and true with the peace as I used to it could be. Yet I have struck even the fiercest animals of the prairie in my time, so you have little reason for fear, young woman. The girl raised her eyes in that peculiar manner which is so often practiced by her sex, when they commence their glances, by examining the earth at their feet, and terminate them by noting everything within the power of human vision. But she rather manifested the quality of impatience than any feeling of alarm. A short bark from the dog, however, soon gave a new direction to the looks of both, and then the real object of his second warning became dimly visible. End of chapter 2